Welcome again to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter and I'm here today with Shanu and we are very excited to have Chris Hammer back with us again with a second book. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Um, you've been busy. I have been busy. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about uh, this new uh, Martin Sarsen book. Okay, for the, anyone who read Scrublands, the protagonist is a, a journalist, rather damaged journalist, called Martin Scarston. So he's back in this new book. And it starts off um, his partner, uh, Mandalay Blonde, has inherited a lot of property, including an old house by the sea. So she decides that this is a place where they'll go and live and raise her young boy. Um, Martin neglects to tell her, though, that this is in his old hometown. Now, the reason why he's neglected to tell her this is because there are a lot of skeletons in this particular town for Martin. So he goes there, and first up, this isn't a spoiler, because it happens in the first chapter, the body of his old best friend from school is lying on the floor of Mandy's apartment, and she's sitting there with blood on her hands. And off we go. So there's two threads to the book. One is uh, Martin trying to find out what happened to his old friend, but also the reader has taken on the journey to discover what so traumatised Martin as a child. Terrific. Um, you've, uh, you've done this incredibly quickly and it's an enormous book. Um, how, uh, you, how, have you, how have you managed this? Has this been sort of brewing away? Have you, have you sort of uh, imagining a Martin series um, just toppling one book after another year on year or are you very tired? Uh, look, I'm, I'm kind of tired. It's been, it was an intense process there for a while, like January, February this year, pretty much all I did was write. Um, didn't socialise, didn't drink any alcohol for a couple of months, was just very much head down, bum up sort of thing. Mm. Um, I think there will be another Martin Scarston book after this um, and after that, who knows. Can you tell us a bit about your, yourself? Um, I think people, people have gravitated towards your books in a, in a really surprising and wonderful way. Um, because they're really... <laughs> I'm glad it was surprising. <laughs> it's all right, it surprised me. So. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> you should be. It's great. Um, uh, they're incredibly evocative of Australian life, um, as well as being yeah, propulsive thrillers. Uh, what, what was your life like growing up, and where did you grow up? What were you reading? Actually, I grew up in Canberra, so it's a kind of the definition of a boring childhood, mm. I guess, because it, uh, it certainly was a boring place when I was a kid. Um, I spent... 30 years, more than 30 years as a journalist, and that probably comes through somewhat in the books. Martin is a journalist after all, so I understand all that, that sort of methodology. But I've lived in country towns to an extent. I lived in Bathurst when I went to uni. Um, but I travelled a lot and did a lot of reporting in the countryside too, so I think that probably what is playing out in those books. There was also a time you were working overseas with Dateline, is that true? Yeah, I had a, I had two long stints sort of as a roving foreign correspondent uh, for for Dateline for SBS, and I worked in the press gallery a lot in Canberra too. Did that um, give you a bit of a sense of looking back at Australia from the outside? Were you homesick? Or you know, you must have been in quite extreme places. I, I never I never got homesick, but um, you compare Australia with other countries, mm. what works, what doesn't, and of course, if you're in a in a 
a developing country or a war-torn country, of course Australia looks good, but the <laughs> comparison with other developed countries is always interesting to see what we do better and what we do worse. And your books have been selling into um, foreign territories, um, selling in the UK and the States and, and now moving into other languages. Um, you're right, you, you sort of write for a very Australian audience, but there must be something appealing to the foreign readers. Have you went and met, have you toured overseas and sort of met the readers? Yeah, so, so this was absolutely unexpected, of course. I had a couple of non-fiction books published um, a few years ago that were well-received but didn't sell very much at all, and that's what I was expecting with Scrublands, that by the time I finished I thought, oh, yeah, this is okay, this will get published. But the idea that it would ever be published you know, internationally came as this tremendous and rather pleasant surprise. Um, I've been to the UK in July. I was invited over for a crime uh, fiction festival at a place called Harrogate, and that was fantastic. And the books had just come out in paperback there. Waterstones, which is the big sort of mm. chain bookstore in Britain, is right behind it and are supporting it. And um, the British publishers are fantastic. So. And it just so happened, my brother actually lives in Austria, so I went to Vienna, and it was the week that the German edition came out. So I scurried down to this bookstore and found it. It's called Outback in German, that's the okay. title. So, of course, I bought one. I can't read a word of German, but of course I did. That's terrific. Um, Shani, I want to bring you in here, because um, you, you've read both of these books now. You've got the uh, proof copy of uh, Silver. Yes. Um, how, do, how do they compare for you and... and uh, you know, they sort of resonate as the same uh, or they're very different? Oh, I was very excited that the uh, that Silver really carried on what uh, you'd learnt about Martin in the, the first book. And I thought in the first book, you know, it was very focused on his career and the effect his career had had on him. And I thought it was amazing how in the second book you really um, transferred that focus to um, what that means when, you, when you've lived a life like that and then you come back and you have to both reconcile your past plus also look towards your, your future. And um, I was really interested to sort of see how much that kind of paralleled with how you felt from your own journey or is that something you sort of seen with um, colleagues that had gone through sort of that similar kind of you know experience? Oh, certainly with a um, as I said I was a, a roving foreign correspondent for many years doesn't mean I was a war correspondent I did no. go into some dangerous places but I met a lot of people who were genuine frontline sort of correspondents and you can see the kind of damage that's that's done to those people. Um, with, with the books there's kind of two elements to them, if you like. There's, the, there's Martin solving the crimes, which is typical crime fiction, but there's also another part in both books, which is his emotional journey. Once I'd finished Scrublands, what I, one of the things that I liked about it was his emotional journey through the book so that the Martin Scarsden at the end of Scrublands is a different man than at the start. And so I wanted to do something similar in a way with silver so there's an emotional journey happening there as well as just the you know the the, the crime solving part of it oh and i think that absolutely came through um in the second book as well um it was also really interesting just to sort of see the way that you um explored what being um a dad can look like um and also a dad a bit later in life and also one to you know a non but like a child that wasn't actually his biologically and um it was really interesting not only seeing how how he felt emotionally towards um, Liam, but also how other people reacted reacted to uh, to to him, you know, 
becoming like becoming the dad, all the different characters, and his own relationship with, um, which you could see reflected on, um, you know, his his dad and then his uncle, who is a um, becomes quite you know important in the book. Yeah, so he's 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 a bit of an emotional cripple in in many ways, and what we're finding is, you know, we we travel along with him as as he starts to overcome that, and in the first book. It seems the, the reason he's an emotional cripple is he's got post-traumatic stress from being a foreign correspondent. But as the second book goes along, you find out there's a lot more to it, to what, why he's so cut off from other people, and we, and we travel along with him there. So it's kind of like there's two or three storylines happening at the same yeah. time. And I think it's really interesting as well how you uh, show the different facets of all the kind of characters throughout the book. There's There's no one that you kind of... Well, except for maybe a couple of characters, which we won't talk about too much. I don't want to ruin anything that happens in the book. Um, but um, you know, the different facets of the characters and their motivations. There's never just this one. Each character has one motivation. It's really they're very complex, um, well-rounded, well-rounded characters, which I thought was was really great to see in, in a book where you're, as you said, emotionally invested, as well as going, what in the world has happened and who is the killer? Because I could not work it out. Yeah, <laughs> so no, anyone that's reading this is going to be very happy. Uh, yeah, look, thank, thanks for that. Um, look, there's, there's a couple of different plot lines going. So if someone guesses one plot line, they're right. very <laughs> unlikely to, to, to guess them all. Um, and when I was writing it, I, I didn't want to have characters that were just black and white. So even Martin himself is mm. not a saint okay there's the, he does some pretty dodgy things from time to time um but also you know it's true to life even bad people typically have good elements to them and vice versa absolutely so it's yeah absolutely great to see that um coming through in the in the books there is one um ever since I read the first book, one thing that I that really stood out to me in the book was the naming of some of these characters. What was the impetus behind some of these names? I mean, seriously, Mandalay Blonde. These are great. It's like a great name. Topaz, even Martin Skarsden, um, Harvey Snouch. Yeah, so when I was writing the book, I was, the scrublands is this, I was kind of doing it as a hobby. So the expectation by the end was, yeah, I might get it published, but, you know, having an opening, friends come along, pat me on the back, then I go back to my day job. Mm. So I was having a bit of fun. And then when it was published, it was doing well, I was thinking, oh, no, I've kind of, <laughs> I've, I've kind of over-egged that pudding, particular pudding. Until I was at an event and a woman came up and said, oh, I really, really like the names in the book. And I said, oh, oh thanks. I, I may have overdone it. And she said, no, 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 because the plot is quite complex. There's a lot going on. So having really distinctive names helps because I don't have to go back and work out who's who and who's what. And I thought, actually, you know, that makes sense. The plot is complex and having distinctive names does help. So in retrospect, I'm glad I did those <laughs> names. I kind of fluked it. I actually agree because I did um, uh, read something quite recently and I, I actually had no idea who each character was and I was like I needed like a diagram of each of them so I could work out what was happening so that that is absolutely true I certainly did not mistake any character for another character <laughs> in the true. in this book even ones that are related to each other as a massive book this this book has a map in the front I, I can't think of a crime I, 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 perhaps one or two I've read that has a map and it seems something more out of the realm of epic fantasy yeah like it's fiction. kind of it's kind of compulsory <laughs> in a fantasy book I guess. Yeah. So how that came about is when I was writing Scrublands, I was doing it part-time and over quite mm. a long period of time. So I started drawing a map just for my own reference as a, as a writer. So writers often do this. They write backstories for their characters and that. This was so that, you know, in Chapter 3, if Martin walked from the motel to the uh, 
I don't know, the bookstore or something, and it was 500 metres, then in chapter 27 it wasn't two kilometres or something. So I did that. And then when I sent it off to the agent and the publishers, I put the map in the front, this really bad hand-drawn map. And I said, oh, well, why, why don't we put one in? And it worked well in Scrublands, and it works well in Silver too because the, the sort of the, the landscape of the town, which is called Port Silver, that's where the title is derived from, um, it's kind of important for the plot. And so some readers, of course, can be very, you know, they can visualise the town very easily, but others possibly can't. So there's this lovely map. It's a really fantastic, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it. <laughs> so the town of Port Silver, yeah. it's, it's not an exact copy of a place in no. Australia, is it? Because the same as in, in Scrublands, you didn't actually set it in a real town. It's... That, it's sort of a fictional amalgamation of... That's right. They're both set in real landscapes. So Scrublands are set out on the Hay Plain in sort of western New South Wales. Port Silver's sort of set up on the north coast of, of uh, New South Wales, somewhere up around Byron Bay. Cattle and Cane. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a fictionalised version of a real town. It's like mm. totally fictional and it's, that's driven... The landscape is driven by the plot and vice versa. Um, so, no, there's not like you can go to a town and say, oh, I recognise this, no. this is Port Silver, but the, the area is real and the landscape is real. And Although bits of it, like the escarpment, are probably borrowed from, say, southern New South Wales coast. So there's bits and pieces stuck together. And everyone's been to that fish and chip shop that's still exactly the same as it was 30 years ago. <laughs> so I think everyone in Australia would be familiar with, uh, well, with some of those elements from the book as well. And, you know, there, there's... Um, there's Norfolk Island Pines beside the beach. I don't get that. Just about every beach in Australia has got <laughs> Norfolk Island Pines. You know, why? Why? Um, has there been a bit of a film and television interest in Scrublands and now Silver's on the way? Uh, yeah, I mean, Scrublands has been um, optioned by two really good Australian production companies who are developing it. Um, they've got good writers on board. Um, who knows if it gets made, you know, it's, it's, but it seems to be progressing. And as part of that um, deal, if you like, mm. they'd have first option on any subsequent books. So, you know, fingers crossed that if they make Scrublands and that's a success, then it would be a natural flow on to make silver. Do you watch a lot of crime fiction telly? Or? Yeah, a little bit. I kind of I like it. It works well. And it's, I, I think it, um, it feeds into the books a bit too because mm. people watch... Uh, crime and it works particularly well, I think, on streaming services when you can binge watch a, like a crime yes. series. But people, I think there's, there's more and more Australian shows that are selling into Netflix and overseas as well, and the people are binging on them. It's great. That's right. I was just actually up in northern Western Australia, you know, around where they film Mystery Road, which I yeah. don't think is based on a book. It's just a standalone thing. But that's that was a really good series. Yeah. Um, what about the uh, journalism side of your career? Um, do, you, do you miss that? Have you, have you been tinkering away um, at anything else in between or is it you see yourself purely as an author these days? I see myself purely as an author. Um, I miss it sometimes. I, this, this last election I think was the fir first or maybe second election night in maybe 30 years where I wasn't working. So that felt a bit strange. Mm. Um, Particularly for a Canberrian. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, you know, do I miss it? Well, not really. I've got to say, and the thing about I, I was almost 
exhausted with it. So people say, why are you writing these books set in New South, you know, outback New South Wales or up on the coast? Why aren't you writing a political thriller? Because, you know, you covered politics for so long. And part of it's because I kind of need a break from that. Yeah. I mean, I might do it, but yeah, yeah, no absolutely. time soon. Yeah. Um, you've been really generous with your time today. We've really had a, a great chat and it's been awesome hanging out with you. I think it's really cool. Um, can you oblige us with uh, some quick fire questions? They don't have to be snappy um, answers, but it's just going to be oh a, a, little, a little speed round. Um, it's like a hard we'll, chat, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit nice. <laughs> yeah, not a hard chat, hard quiz. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris, what was the last book that you read and loved? Uh, I just finished a book called um, Bodies of Men. Oh, uh, I love this book. Yeah, yeah. Um, by Nigel Featherstone, mm. who's a Canberra writer. Uh, and I'm glad I read... So because I'm now a crime writer, I'm, I read a lot of crime fiction for you know, because you're on panels with people or you're in conversation with people and stuff like that. So you every now and then I, I kind of... Yeah, exactly. And... Um, so every now and then I get to escape and read something that's not a crime book. And, it, and that was really nice. It yeah, was that's book. a fantastic yeah. book. I really hope more people read that. Yeah. Um, uh, where do you write and at what time of the day? I typically write in the morning, but I can write pretty much everywhere. It's one of the benefits, I think, of being a journalist and particularly a journalist who travelled a lot. So, for example, this morning I came from Canberra to Sydney on the train and I wrote pretty much the whole way on the train. I work, worked on a book. You know, I'm pretty much impervious to noise the person next to me looking over my shoulder wondering what the hell I'm doing that sort of thing um if, you know cafes wherever great um do you have uh tricks to uh keep yourself sustained do you have sort of word count <laughs> quotas you impose on yourself or any neat tricks caffeine <laughs> caffeine <laughs> no the, the word counts absolutely not a, a morning spent thinking about what you're going to write is just as valuable as a morning where you, where it's the words are pouring out of you. Well said. Um, is there a first thing you would go and do after you've finished a book? I mean, I know you've only done two now, but uh, what do you? You know, this last one. What have you gone and done as soon as you've sort of marked an office done? Oh, how do you celebrate? I'd probably have a drink of something. Yes. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously, they uh, never kind of really finish, though. That's the, that's the thing, isn't that's it? The, you know, edits keep coming back and then it's gone. And then, so I'm kind of working, I'm trying to start a new book now. Mm. So I don't have to work with quite the same intensity. I'm publicizing Silver here, but, you know, Scrublands is still coming out in some territories and languages. So, it, it, it's funny how it kind of spreads out. I can, I really admire those those very experienced writers. You know, people like say Michael Robotham or that who 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 seem to have the whole system down pat. They've been doing it for so long. They know exactly what they need to do when. And you know, hopefully, in a few years' time, I'll be more You'll like be that. Be a master as yeah. well. <laughs> um, do you have a trusted person that you share your work with before anyone else? No, with Scrublands, a number of friends read early drafts, but Silver was done in quite quite a short space of time. So the people who would be reading first up would be my agent, Grace Highfetz, and my publisher, Jane Palfreyman, who are both, you know, I mean, if you've got people like that who are reading your books, you know. Who else what, do you need? What be- <laughs> yeah, exactly, what better judges could you have? Um, do you have uh, a favourite children's book? Did you read a lot as a child? Oh yeah, I, I, uh, 
legally stop. I, I love the, the Magic Pudding. It's oh, fantastic. Um, those sort of books. I, I really liked – there was one book I really liked reading as a kid which was um, like a King Arthur sort of story. So I, I liked it initially because of, the, you know, the daring do sort of stuff. But in it, in it was probably the first book I read um, and I probably would have been like seven or something that didn't have a happy ending. You know, kids' yes. books always have happy endings, right? King Arthur doesn't, you know. He, he <laughs> dies, he gets killed by his bastard son. Lancelot has run off with the missus, you know. It's it's pretty bleak and, you know, and then the dark age just comes, so... What's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about your work? Something that's stuck with you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's not that I, I can't think it's people have... have I, I guess people who don't like your books don't come and talk to you and the people who do like your books do. Well, that's a good place to be. <laughs> Try and keep it that way. One with Scrublands is a woman who, who read it in five hours flat, which is like 25,000 words an hour or that's something. Wild. So that's, that's a compliment. Um, people who say that they read your book and it made them cry, mm. that's, a pretty, that's a pretty powerful compliment. One more. Um, do you have a bit of advice that um, you've taken on or, or something that you give out to other writers that um, seek it out? Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just try and enjoy the process and enjoy writing and um, just try and write a good book. Chris Hammer, thank you for playing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, and you can buy Chris Hammer's Silver and Scrublands from Booktopia right now. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.